Proverbs uh, 19, 19. And this is my custom to share a proverb with you, but not to really go into it. If someone has a hot temper, let him take the consequences. If you get him out of trouble once, you'll have to do it again. Do you realize you're wiser now than you were 30 seconds ago? <laughs> Just by that. Our Bible text again today is it's where we've been camped out for a while. It's Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have uh, your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 9. And um, eventually we'll get into the New Testament for Christmas. I think it'll be Friday. But we've been camped out on Isaiah 9, uh, verses 6 and 7. And um, follow along and I'll read. For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It just gets better all the time. Of the increase, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So Lord, we, um, we invite you now to speak to our hearts. As we open your word, as we examine what's there, we also, Lord, know that you will speak to us personally, individually, powerfully, Lord, supernaturally. So we invite God for you now to use these next few moments to shape our hearts and to pour into us the miraculous in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. I have new vision. I am... Um, I, I don't look at you with the eyesight that I was born with. I'm thankful for that because from an early age, I can't really remember. Some point in uh, elementary school, somebody noticed something and uh, I was having a hard time. Maybe it's because I was squinting all the time. I, I don't know, but from a very, very early age, I've worn glasses. And every time I would go to the doctor, they would get a little bit thicker and um, um, a little bit harder to handle and manage. And because I was a little boy, Uh, When it started, I went through the process of the difficulties of little boys managing something important, which is glasses, which I lost them, I broke them, I ruined them. One time I laid my glasses on the floor of the basement, lenses down, and I slid them all the way across the basement. And when they got to the other end, they had these (laughs) scratches right there. And the family just really wasn't in a place to do much about that for a while. So for a while, I walked around with glasses with this fuzzy, it was pretty bad. I remember going to the swimming pools in the summertime in Spokane, and I would put my glasses in my pocket at least once. It was about a mile walk, and at least once I got home and had been swimming for the day, and where are my glasses? And glasses are lost, and I remember some fretful days in the summertime looking for, for lost glasses that never turned up. These lenses are so important because what I see is, is, is fuzzy I couldn't really make out what was really going on around me. Lenses are, are a pretty big deal. And uh, I have a hard time seeing without that. But I don't have the vision that I was born with. Some, somewhere along the way, a couple things happened. Of course, I mentioned I had glasses. Doctors helped me sort that out, and they can look at you. Someone on the outside can take a look at the way you see things, take some measurements, interesting, scientific, accurate measurements, and they can figure out what's wrong. They know exactly what you see incorrectly and what, what, what it's going to take to intervene in between to help you see things correctly, to help you see things more clearly, to see things in the dark better, to see things in the light better, to see the things that you thought you were seeing all along and didn't realize, and didn't realize what you were seeing. And then along the way, um, 
I'd make my decisions. Sometimes my decisions were small ones. You know, I'd sit, sit in the back of the room and try to watch Star Trek. I grew up on the real Star Trek. I mean, there are subsequent imitations of Star Trek, but I grew up on the real ones, and I learned that without my glasses, I couldn't watch it unless I actually laid on the floor right in front of the TV, and I could see it clear enough. But if I had my glasses, well, I could sit back. Now, that was a minor decision. At nighttime, I might make a decision about when to cross the street based on what I could see. And if I made the wrong decision then without the right help, I could be dead. Literally, not just figuratively. Our vision, our ability to see the things around us, to make assessments, to make decisions, to set priorities, to decide what's important, to decide what to believe, to decide what to trust is so central to what we see. And um, I'm grateful for the advancement of glasses, and I eventually got contact lenses. And then, I don't know, over a dozen, maybe 10 years ago, I, I'm, I don't know, I can't remember the, how long ago it's been, I decided, um, and it was, I had the opportunity to have LASIK surgery done on my eyes. Now, this is not an ad for LASIK surgery, um, although we've got a great um, surgery, surgical center just down the road, and and we prayed recently as a church about their tragedy. We, we lost some people in our community due to that airplane crash. But I went to uh, have my eyes drilled on for <laughs> a short time. And uh, it was miraculous. It was a miraculous change. They had the ability through technology and careful education and training to fix my eyes. I so wish that somebody could give me some heart drops and in a seven-minute procedure, move my heart to 20-20 vision. I wish. But the Lord does that, but he just doesn't do it in seven minutes with heart drops. He does it in other ways. And in fact, I think it's kind of important that when he does it, that the heart drops aren't there. You know what I mean by heart drops, eye drops? You know, the eye drops, you didn't feel anything. By the way, if you're thinking about the surgery, don't be afraid. It was easy. It was gentle, and the Lord carried me through it. It didn't hurt. And um, I remember when Lisa drove me home, because you don't drive yourself home. So when she drove me home, <laughs> I slept most of the way home. It was, you know, a 20-minute drive. And, um, you know, they kind of loaded me up with whatever they do to load you up to get you relaxed and so that you'll just hold still. And so I slept almost all the way home. And we drove into the driveway, and I stood out of the car and opened my eyes. And for the first time, I saw such clarity and vibrance. It was, it was magical. I was so grateful. I cried, which was good for the eyes. You know, all that watering was good. But I was so grateful for what I felt like the Lord had given me. You know... We can become so used to seeing things with degraded quality. We can become so used to it that when we see the real deal, it, it's, it's more than a little miraculous. It's just even more than a little miraculous. Lenses have always been a part of my life, and you know they're always a part of your life. You guys are staring through all kinds of lenses right, right back at me. Here's the thing about poor vision. Poor vision puts your hope at risk. Your hope is at risk because of vision. If you aren't aware that your lenses are faulty, your lack of knowledge can put your hope at risk. Your hope. We're going to expand on this a little bit later. 
The other way that it puts your hope is if you're aware that your lenses are faulty and you continue on anyway. You know you don't see things clearly, but you continue on anyway. Your hopes are at risk, probably worse, because you lack both sight and wisdom. Not only do you not see clearly, but you know it and you go on anyway. Those are two huge risks when poor vision um, is at work. I miss my father. Um, I mentioned him, I think, in a service before. He's, he's been gone about five years now. He's with the Lord. And um, um, I miss him for a lot of reasons. He's one of the other two guys. I mentioned two guys earlier. And um, he, uh, he was a wonderful, loving father. He, he loved me. Sometimes that meant that he loved me with this architect's ruler. <laughs> <laughs> Who said amen? <laughs> You're thankful that my father loved me that way, I'm sure. You know, um, some, some of the, my kids when I, was, when I was little, some of my, my friends, you know, their father used a belt or whatever. And listen, I'm not here to talk about abusing children. That's not what I'm talking about. But when I needed to be corrected, there was something Terry-shaped that would not have been corrected by a timeout. And I'm not here to tell you that timeouts are bad and the little rulers are good. I think for everything there's a place. The Word of God tells us that there's a place for corporal correction. It needs to be done with love. But my father would use this ruler that he had in a drafting class, and it was, you know, a ruler. And it was a triangle. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's triangle shape. It had those little grooves down the side. And, you know, when I would get a swat or two, it was get my attention very well. He, he, he corrected me. He also loved me. He was there. He, he would coach me. His heart, it seems to me, was always wanting to find out what was best for Terry and then to help him be the best that Terry could be, help me be the best I could be, and help me figure out a way to get there. That was always in my father's heart. He loved me, and I don't think there was anything I could ever do. I, don't, I can't think of anything I could do that would have separated me from my father's love. Now, I realize that many of you don't have that kind of history. Your relationship with your father was something different, maybe quite a lot more hurtful, quite a lot less hopeful. Void of love, maybe. So here's the problem. Here's our problem. We tend to project an image of God through the lens of our earthly father. We tend to do that. We tend to say, okay, the, the word of God always calls God the father. So he's got to be like dad. He must be like dad. And if your background is abusive, unloving, he wasn't there. If you have all of those kinds of issues in your background, the idea of using your father for a lens does not put God in all that good of a light. I understand that. So we conclude that the everlasting father is just like our dad. Some of us had a father who, I'm just going to talk about this a little, little bit. Maybe, maybe you had a father who was just never, ever satisfied. He never showed you affection. He never said, I love you. He grew up being the John Wayne, um, who there was probably some love underneath there, but it was considered a weakness to demonstrate emotion. It would have been... It would just have been counter grain. And listen, 
that demonstrates itself in lots of different ways. But your, your father just was never satisfied. Maybe, maybe you always felt like you had to do better, you had to be more, you had to, to try to earn and work to, to get the approval you needed for your fa- from your father. Those kinds of sons, if you were a son of a father like that, you tend to become independent. You learn how to make things go because that's what you had to do. You become a performer. And then you lean on your independence. You have a tendency to lean on your own capabilities. People with that kind of a background have a, have a tendency to have great challenge trusting and putting faith out, out there because they learn to trust themselves. If you're a daughter of a father who is never satisfied and you're trying to perform, you become extremely vulnerable to guys. You can tell the girls, you can tell the girls who, whose fathers made them earn approval because you can manipulate them. And the guys know it. Guys have radar. Guys have radar. And by high school age, that radar is working. It's going full tilt. And the girls whose fathers made them earn approval are easy marks. They can be. You know, I'm, I think I'm being signaled by the Lord to just pause for a minute because I know I'm, I'm on tender territory here. So, Lord, I just ask God for you to carry us through this part of the message because hope is coming in Jesus' name. <laughs> Please forgive me if I've tread upon something that's um, making this not so fun for you. Okay, let's move on to another kind of dad, of dad, okay? A father who's always angry. Some of you had a father who was always angry. So you'd tiptoe around because you never knew when something might blow up in your face and... Um, you know, I'm not talking about the kind of fathers who, when they would do plumbing, would start screaming because that's me. If you, if, you know, I make up new cuss words if I have to plumb because for me there is no difference between it's either going to break or going to leak. There is no middle ground if I just don't touch plumbing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the father who's always got something. There's always anger. There's never peace. I'm talking about something where you just are always on your tiptoes. There's never any peace. And, you know, for some people that goes to an extreme where there's abuse and where there is deep woundedness and hurt. And then there's a scripture that says to us, children, obey your parents for it's good. And you look at a scripture like that and say, how can I possibly do that? This guy's hitting me. This guy's abusing me. How do you do that? So you try to look through abuse and figure out who the everlasting father, the prince of peace and mighty, the everlasting father, and your lens says, he hits me? It never quite adds up. Some of us had a father who's just not there for you. Your, um, your, your, there was a divorce, maybe. Maybe there was some other tragedy that ripped your father out of his life. So he was, just wasn't there. Maybe it, it was, he wasn't there when you had your first soccer goal or maybe he wasn't there when your heart was broken by some boy and he couldn't be there to support you. Um, or maybe he just wasn't there, wasn't there. Didn't provide for your family and you watched your mother struggle caring for you. Maybe he just wasn't there for a legitimate reason that's outside of his control. It was a tragedy that pulled him away. And so your image of the everlasting father is absence. Never satisfied, always angry, not there for you. All of those make really, really bad lenses 
All of those are the eyeglasses that have been laid on the cement floor and slid across. And when you go to pick them up at the other end, you realize you're looking through something that you can't see. You're looking through something that just is not going to help you get there from here. Now, I want to <laughs> want to put that part of the message behind us and say, okay, we're going to quit, quit talking about the bad lenses and say, listen, guys, those of you that are fathers or will be fathers, it's... It, being a father is not a biological event. It's a heaven-designed and engineered and mandated role. It's a spiritual office. And built into you, Psalm 139 tell, talks about the Lord knowing you while you were still in your mother's womb. And you can study that scripture, and it, and it really suggests something that the Lord was fabricating. He knew you while you were in your mother's womb. And he put in you the capabilities to be a terrific father. A terrific father. I know a lot of guys whose father was like what I just got, dis- got done, done describing, but I watch them and they're terrific fathers. It's in you. The thing about us fathers and mothers, but I'm picking on dads today, sorry guys. <laughs> the thing about us is that we have the ability because of how we shape our little ones to set their lenses. We have so much to do with what their lenses are going to be like. I want to pray again for just a moment. Lord, would you, um, if there is anything in this room right now that feels like condemnation, sweep it away. Your word says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who are called not according to, who walk not according to the, the flesh, but according to the spirit. Lord, I pray that, um, that, that condemnation would be wiped away, but instead encouragement and motivation and how to be that would be settled upon our souls in Jesus' name. So here's the challenge for us as, as kids, as sons and daughters. If you have made life decisions, you've set your priorities, you determine what you value, you've made goals, things you want to do. If you set life decisions using the wrong lens, You can't just fix the lens. You can't just swap the lens. You've got to then go back and re-examine the goals that you set when you couldn't see straight. That's the challenge that all of us need to be thinking through today as we consider who the everlasting Father is. And through the lens of Scripture, this, that's the only reliable lens you can accurately see who Jesus, the everlasting Father, is. Do you realize that this Scripture tells us that Jesus' name is Everlasting Father? We always want to see the Jesus, especially at, at Christmas time, as this child, and he is. But he's also the everlasting Father. And you will never see him accurately through any other lens than the Word of God. The best Father in the world can only get you somewhere close, can only get you somewhere good. So now let's talk about some of the good news. I'm going to quickly go through this and we're going to be done. Um, good news about our everlasting Father. First off, our, everfa- our everlasting Father is compassionate. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is compassionate, merciful, patient, and always ready to forgive. Always ready to forgive. Do you realize there is nothing you can do to earn his love? You can't do anything to earn his love. You think maybe you need to perform, and if you go to church every week, and if you give tithes and offerings, God bless you, thank you that you do. But do you realize that does not earn the Lord's love? Stop giving so that God will love you. Stop it. If you're giving gifts and the offering goes by so that God will love you, I want you to stop giving to this church. And I'm serious. And when the Lord leads you to the place that you're giving because 
you put it, you're putting your faith in him because the word tells you he's faithful. Then you can put offerings back in. I'm perfectly, I'm serious here. Don't mess with that, <laughs> okay? I really, I'm really asking you to stop trying to perform to earn God's love. You just don't need to do that. Matthew 11, uh, 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That also means humble. God says he's humble. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Stop trying to earn the Lord's love and approval. You just don't need to do that. You can rest instead. He accepts you already through Jesus. And now this is kind of wild. He can never love you and accept you any more than he does right this moment. He's not going to love you and accept you more tomorrow. He already, he's already there with you. And for some of you, you can't believe it. Why would he accept me? I know what I'm like. It'll never be more. It'll never be more. Okay. Our loving Father is, our, our everlasting Father is compassionate. Our everlasting Father cares. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. I, there's another translation that kind of puts a little, um, punches that through. The, today's English version says, I alone know the plans that I have for you. This suggests that God actually has plans for you. You're not one of the goldfish in the big bowl and he just watches you swim wherever you want to go. The Lord has plans for you, way more than you think. You may feel that you are just in this rut, and this is your lot in life, but you know what? There is something bigger than that. There is something grander than that, something more majestic, more promising, more fruitful, more joy-filled, more hope-filled, happier, more loving, more of every good thing. And that's what the Lord's plan for you is. Plans to bring you prosperity and not disaster, to bring about the future and, and the future you hope for. God is not angry with you all the time. He's not angry with you. He's satisfied with you right now. He's compassionate. He cares. And the last is our loving, our everlasting Father is always there. Always there. I think about, um, um, I have friends whose father isn't always there and um, he's been gone a long time. And it's not because he's evil. And it's not because they're evil. It was a tragic circumstance. And uh, I watch and I marvel sometimes at the godly balance that I see in the absence of a father. And the reason I bring that to you, and I do it with tenderness because I love this person, and he's listening to me this moment. The reason I bring that to you is that I don't want a single fatherless person here to believe that you just have to do without. You don't need to believe that. Hebrews 13 says, For God said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never translate. I will never choose to discard you and walk away because I just don't love you or because you don't please me, or because you make me angry, or I just don't care. God never says those things. So, 
Unto us a child is born. His name will be called Everlasting Father. I don't know what your lenses look like. Today, I hoped, my, hope, my best case hope today was that deal you know where you sit in the office and the doctor says, is one better or is two better? Is one better? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Sometimes I sit there and I say nothing and I'm thinking, I, uh, you know, and I know they get you down to really fine degrees of difference and they're trying to really get it as accurate as they can. This shouldn't be like that. This should not, what we've talked about today shouldn't be just a hairbreadth difference. The difference between the two lenses here should be dramatic, profoundly different because the Lord wants to readjust the lenses here today. The Lord wants to get to the place where all of the fuzz, all of the scratches, all of the pain, all of the wrong lenses that have been used over all of the years would be replaced by something with clarity and hope. I'm, I know I've walked across some tender territory today more than I have in previous services, so I'm going to close. But I want to do that with prayer because I, I really, it's not that I want to um, just walk away at this point, but I'm really believing that the Holy Spirit is going to do some work in the next moments. I've been waiting for this moment for a couple of weeks, anticipating that something of the supernatural was going to happen in this room. You could... Um, put a notch in your belt and say, I went to church today and just walk out the doors. That's, that's one of the options. The other is that you just let the Lord do what he drew you here for. Something supernatural and profound. Now look, I know many of you have good lenses. Our role isn't just to be able to seek with clear lenses, but to help the people around us. Because when you walk out of here and you go to work tomorrow, you are going to be in a sea of people whose sight is really messed up. And they really need to see what Christmas is about. And you know, they use their father as their lens, but they know you're a Christian. They know you're a Christian. And so they're using you as a lens. Whether it's at school, on the playground, at work, or at the dinner table. So I want to pray with you to not only correct whatever eyesight you need to have corrected, but to help you become someone who applies hope to the people around you. Okay? You've been quiet today. Okay, I guess I... I guess that's good. <laughs> we'll just go with that. <laughs> Lord, um, we, we love you, God. We thank you, Lord, that your word has made promises to us We thank you, Lord, that your name is wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. We look to the day, God, when that increase of your government will go on without end. No end. Lord, we look forward to that day, but today, God, we bring to you this issue. We declare right now, as as our God and King, your role as everlasting Father, Lord. We, we release the fullness of what that means into our own lives. God, I pray for people who are hurting today. And the review of um, Daddy just hurts. I ask God for something of healing to happen in this room right now. And I know, Lord, that you will use interaction between people to um, finish the works of healing. But I ask now 
not for what we will accomplish, but God, for what the Spirit would do. So I ask God for a seeking in this room that walking with people, first, Lord, that where there's inappropriate pain, that God, you would release that now. And I ask God where there needs to be forgiveness, maybe where forgiveness has been completely shelled in, locked away, tossed away, and forgotten. Lord, you would refresh it so that it can be freely given. I pray, Lord, that no one in this room would be bound up with unforgiveness towards a father or towards a figure with whom they would maybe associate with you. Lord, I I pray, I want to pray too right now for the release, God, of something of hope. The release, God, of the good things. The release, God, of your good qualities and characters that you would want to put in us. That you're always there for us, that you care, and that you're compassionate. So Lord, I just pray that, especially upon fathers today in this room, I pray that, Lord, over the men and the women here who influence our young people. I want to thank you, God, for the announcements I heard today about our children's ministries and for the fact that our kids are learning your word. I pray, Lord, for the release of the good things of the kingdom upon those children, especially through fathers and through those of us that lead in this room. And now, church, while we're praying, I just want to ask, just say this to you. And If you don't know Jesus because your viewpoint of who God is is polluted. It's cloudy. I want to tell you that Jesus, we just began to touch upon him today. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He's not the earthly image that you have. The word of God is very specific about our future and our hope. God has plans for you, and they include eternity. And the truth is there is a heaven, and the truth is it can be missed, and it becomes missed because of relationship. If you don't have relationship with God, if you don't have relationship with Jesus, you have to get that right before you die. And there's no sense in waiting until you're on your deathbed. It's something to get right right now. Christ is among us, and it only simply takes you willing to accept his lordship. You don't have to earn it. You simply say, I believe he came and he died for me. And then you share that with someone. It's not magical. It's the beginning. When you open your heart to the Lord, the Lord would then begin to change and shape your heart and walk and dwell with you. Now, I've given you a lot of theology without the scripture there. Here's what else I would say. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord before, I'll be hanging around after church. Eric will be hanging around after church. Leaders will be hanging around. Come to one of us and say, hey, I want to open my heart to the Lord. We'll pray with you. It's as simple as that. Okay? Look up at me, church. Okay? Okay, would you... um, Would you remember a couple of things? Um, You have a song for us, don't you? That's really good. Yeah, we we always want a song. You need to clean this up. Okay? Um, Two things. Christmas Eve. It'll be a great time. We'll keep you for now. I told you before, but really this is an opportunity for you to be light and hope to people. So bring somebody with you to Christmas Eve, 3 or 5 o'clock, either one. And 